We are on our uh, sixth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite uh, called The Vow. And this series is all about how to thrive and come alive in relationships, and in particular, how to thrive and come alive in marriage. And today I want to wrap up the uh, series by doing a message called uh, How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. And of course, even by the title, like there's no way I can actually preach this message. And so in all fairness, we just have to say up front, there's, this, there's nothing you can do, per, you know, uh, you know, every step to keep, you know, to protect, to keep your spouse from doing something that you don't want him to do or what, I mean, that, that kind of thing. So let me just say, fair warning, right? Like this isn't something that you can possibly do, but there are some things that, that the Bible actually walks through and talks about that can protect us and protect our own hearts and protect our own relationships, our own marriages, our own families and that kind of stuff. And so today I want to take a look at some of those practical kinds of things uh, and how we can put them into practice. Let me start out today as we're talking about affairs and, and some of that kind of stuff. Let me, let me share some research. This is as of 2016, late 2016. There's a study done by the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy. They found this. Oh, this is unbelievable. 22% of men and 14% of women admit to cheating on their spouse. Uh, 36% of men and women admit to at some point having had an affair with a coworker. Those who have cheated before are 350% more likely to cheat again. Uh, affairs are most likely to happen in year two of a marriage. That's actually fascinating to me. Year two, wonder, wonder why specifically. Maybe the honeymoon's over. Uh, 35% of men and women admit to cheating while on a business trip. They said 10% of affairs began on, begin online, and 40% of those uh, turn into real-life uh, affairs and that kind of stuff. I end up reading through those, and oh, I'll share one more. And this one was just mind-blowing to me. But uh, one more of the same study found that 74% of men, Americans, American men, 74% of men say they would have an affair if they thought they could get away with it and not be found out. It's jaw-dropping and horrifying kinds of stats, is it not? I mean, you, you, I hear these, and, I, and it's almost numbing because you kind of just start adding one to the next, to the next, to the next. But if you stand, step back a second and say, look at that. I mean, think about, according to the research, according to the data, it's commonplace, right, in, in our culture today to have an affair. That's just sort of the norm. Men and women, they get bored. They get enticed. They go looking for something easier, perhaps, and end up in somebody else's bed. That's, that's what the stats tell us is normal. Marriages get ripped apart. Trust gets broken. Families get destroyed. And it's wreaking havoc in our country these days. It's wreaking havoc on relationships. It's wreaking havoc even inside the church. It happens so often. And I don't think people go into marriage on the front end saying, man, you know what? We're going to get married. It's going to be great for a while. And then I'm going uh, to take a, a course of action that's going to lead me down a road that's going to like rip out the heart of my spouse. You know, I'm going to lose all trust of my kids. I'm going to, you know, like, I don't think anybody goes into it thinking, man, that sounds like a great idea. But somehow we still tend to get sucked in that direction. The tide sort of pulls us in that direction. And we as a country are going like lambs to the slaughter down this road again and again and again and again and again. And I think what we're going to hear today from God's word and God's truth is just a warning, first of all, to say, you don't want to go there, right? First and foremost, I mean, this is, uh, it might sound fun and enticing on the front end, but it is, it is, oh, uh, I got some good stuff for you, so we'll go. But it's so, it's remarkably hurtful. It's just agonizingly painful. You did not want to go there. And then there's some practical steps that we're going to look at at uh, 
on how you can uh, avoid that kind of stuff. We're going to learn today from a uh, wise king, wisest man that ever lived, King Solomon. We're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you pull them out? You can op- open them up to Proverbs 5. We're going to walk through most of it. If you don't, you can pull out the, the uh, Ignite Church app and look under notes. We've got the scriptures in there and notes and all that kind of stuff. You can follow along there or on the screens as well. But uh, we're going to learn some lessons from this wise king. And again, we talked about this the first week of the series. I also uh, preached from something from Solomon. Uh, but the, the whole book of Proverbs is really set up. It's written by King Solomon, and it's written to his sons. His son and his sons kind of passed on his wisdom of saying, man, this is how life works best. And of course, we believe that this is God-breathed. So God is actually the, the, uh, the force behind this thing. And he's speaking uh, through Solomon to his sons and saying, man, this is how life works best. And in this context, he's going to say, this is how uh, to guard yourself and to protect yourself from having to walk through a painful thing like an affair. And so that's where we're going. Um, it's written, again, from that perspective, father to son. And so he's talking about, son, be careful about women that would lead you astray. But of course, it's, it, can be, it can go either way, right? It could, it could be just as easily and should be just as easily interpreted about women, how to guard yourself and be, you know, kind of be careful so that you don't get, uh, get lured away by a man in the same context. And so that's, that's what we're going. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5, starting with verse 1. We'll just kind of read through some of this says this. It says, my son, he says, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. He's saying, man, those words, it's persuasive. She's, it's tempting, right? When, when you hear them talk, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she doesn't even know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near, near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teacher or turn my ear to my instructor. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Let's just stop there for a second and just say, man, straying from God's path for marriage, right? Ending up on the path of adultery or affairs from Solomon's perspective and really from God's perspective, good thing or bad thing? (laughs) Okay. Wow, you guys are sharp, right? Right? I mean, Solomon is just sort of going over and over. He's like, man, this does not lead where you think it does. This is, it might sound sweet on on the words, might be enticing on the front end, but man, I'm telling you, it leads to destruction. You don't want to go there. I mean, he got some of the words, right? He's saying, man, they cut you like a double-edged sword. It does damage. It makes you bitter. It leads towards death and destruction. It keeps you on an aimless and purposeless path. It makes a fool of you and it wastes your life. <laughs> Just a few of the things that Solomon says. It's a big deal. Marriage and sex on the path of God's wisdom. Let me just step back and say, it's a good thing, right? It's a desirable thing. Delightful, even. But when we stray from that path, it brings destruction and devastation. But you and I, each one of us, has to choose which path we're going to walk on. Let me keep going. 
uh, verse 15 says this. It says, drink water from your own cistern. In other, in other words, get your needs met by, met by your own husband or your own wife. Get running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets or your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, you as a couple alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord. He sees it, right? He knows. He sees everything. And he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. You know, I have to say, uh, when it comes to sex, I think the church often doesn't do a good job. We, uh, and, and I understand why, but it seems like uh, because our culture has gone, has been swept away so significantly and so like cluelessly, right, on this whole issue of sex from, from God's standard. We've, we have drifted so far that oftentimes the church overcompensates by sort of communicating all sex is bad. God hates sex. You should never do it. We should never talk about it. We should never have anything. And I just have to say it's, it's easy for it to come off that way. And, and sort of the church's favorite word when it comes to this whole issue of sex is no, right? Like no, right? Well, could we? No, right? Could we? No. It's, it, it's, and so often we end up growing up, those of us that have been around the church, we end up growing up thinking, man, I don't know, this whole thing just seems weird and bad, and I don't know, where, it's sort of a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing in the church. Like, let's just sort of ignore it and do whatever we want, and nobody make eye contact any time we talk about this kind of thing. Stay, you know, stay away from it. But I just want to back up, first of all, today, and just, and just I want to bring some balance, if I can, and just say, the same, the same dude that wrote Proverbs, right, King Solomon, also wrote another book. He actually wrote several other books. But he wrote another book in the Old Testament. It's called The Song of Solomon, or The Song of Songs. Anybody know what the topic of this book is? <laughs> oh, yeah. We got some, that's my favorite book, Pastor. Right? Like, I love that book. Right? It's, it's about sex. It's about the, the glory of sex in marriage. It's, a, it's written between a husband and a wife, Solomon, and his wife. And there is playfulness. There's bantering. There's foreplay. There's sex. There's all, I mean, it's all, it's all mixed in. It was, in fact, it was so graphic that men back in Jesus' day, Jewish men, weren't allowed to read it until they came of age. Right? This is something they, like this is a rated R sort of book of the Bible, you got to put your blinders on, and everyone's like, what book was that again? Some, right, some of the guys, right? This is, but I mean, it was a big deal, and, and it was all about, man, this is great. This is part of marriage. This is part, I mean, this is not only something that's permissible, but this is God-ordained, God-created. He created man and woman in the context of marriage to enjoy this, and it is good, right? On, on God's path, enjoyed and um, in the constraints, so, so to speak, the, the boundaries of marriage, he says, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's as it should be, right? It's good stuff. It's, and it's so significant that it's not only an Old Testament deal, but even in the New Testament, God speaks and says, you know what? You know what? This is, this is so important. God urges husbands and wives not to withhold sex from one another. All the guys that are in the room are like, hey, man, pastor, preach it, right? I mean, preach, preach. What's that? What's that verse again? You know, that kind of thing. It's my new life verse. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's meant to be a great thing. It's, it's, it's a huge deal. It's meant to be enjoyed, and it's meant to be sort of the regular overflow of love and intimacy in marriage. 
Now, the book of Proverbs, again, written by the same guy, King Solomon, the same guy that wrote the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, that talks about how great it is for sex to be enjoyed on God's path in the context of marriage, right? Between a man and a woman, right, for life, you know, kind of thing. In that context, the same dude spends two chapters in Proverbs, chapters five and chapter seven, and it shows up a whole bunch of other places throughout the book of Proverbs, too, where he's warning, though, about the dangers of straying off that path, right? About, about enjoying sex, which was created by God in the context of marriage. Anytime we step outside of that, he warns about how destructive it is. And he's, he's writing to his son, and you can hear the urgency and the passion as he's writing. Man, he's saying, man, do not go there. It will wreck your life. It'll destroy your family. It'll do tremendous damage. You can't even imagine. And so he's warning his son, just urging his son, man, just steer clear of that. I love, though, I mean, again, you can, you can still hear some of the reminiscence of, like, in the con- on the path, good, right? Off the path, not so much. On the path, he's, I love the, some of the language he uses, right? He says, uh, he says, may you be ever intoxicated by her love, by the love of your wife. He's talking, you know, uh, he, he kind of goes on and says, may her breast satisfy you always. Does that sound like the God that is a prude? Not at all, right? He's saying, man, enjoy it. Again, on God's path. May you find joy in the wife of your youth. That's where marriage relationships are meant to flourish. It's good and full of delight. That's where it's safe. But beyond that, when sex is enjoyed outside of the context of marriage relationships between a man and a woman, when we stray off that path, there are significant and destructive consequences. As I was studying this week, I I found two words in in those verses 18 through 20 that I thought were fascinating and just, I think, paint a great picture of... uh, of uh, kind of the contrast that I think Solomon's getting at here. So I want to talk to you about this. You know I don't do this all that often, but I thought this was interesting. There's, uh, in the, verse 19, he says, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. That word satisfied is the Hebrew word rava is, is the name. It means literally to saturate, to bathe, to drink one's fill, to be fully satisfied. It's a picture of saying, may you be overwhelmed with fulfillment and satisfaction in your marriage and in your sex life with your husband and with your wife. God says, Rava, it's good, it's desirable, it's delightful, it's satisfying. That's sex on God's path and in his wisdom. Sex between a husband and a wife. He's saying, man, it's awesome. May you find fullness and satisfaction in that always. But then there's another word. And it's the word shaga, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit different. And he says this in verse 20. It says, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why be intoxicated? Shaga. Why be intoxicated with another man's wife? This word means to stray off a path. It means to err, to wander. It means literally to be devoured by wild animals, to be mauled is what it means. And I just think, man, this is an amazing picture. He's always setting up this contrast. In the context of marriage, he says, rava, right? To be fulfilled and full. Shagat, when we stray and are devoured. Hebrew words oftentimes paint seriously graphic pictures. <laughs> and this is one of those times. This word shagah literally paints a picture of a person walking and straying off a path and getting devoured by animals. Think lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, right? Right? I mean, it's, it's a, but it's a, you guys are right on cue today. That was, but it's, it's that kind of thing, right? It's, it's saying, man, and I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's been like, let's say mauled by a bear or attacked by a wild, it's, it's unbelievable. I can remember, um, 
hearing stories. When I was a kid, I went to uh, Yosemite National Park with my dad for a few days. Uh, it's turned out a little dark, but you can kind of get the gist of it. It's amazing. If you guys have ever been there, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's stunning. You get to hike up some of these amazing places. There's waterfalls and beauty and all this kind of stuff. Uh, loved it. It was fantastic. But I can remember, I still remember when we arrived, we stayed actually in the park and that kind of stuff. And when we arrived, uh, the ranger sort of took us aside and, and told us, he's like, literally every year, there are hundreds of bear sightings and interactions between people and bears, right? And he's like, and so he kind of went through this whole process and taught us about if you encounter a bear, here's what you do, right? And it's, it all has to do with like protecting yourself and like getting out of that situation as easily and quickly as you can because you do not want to be around a wild animal. And he's like, there, he's like one piece of wisdom though is you're hiking through, uh, through the park and stuff. He says, stay on the path. Right, stay on the path. He says there's lots of places where you can veer off and you can go down and there's beautiful, you know, uh, waterfalls and there's beautiful lakes. There's beautiful uh, places where water's flowing through the park. He's like, but I have to tell you, that's one of the most dangerous places to be because you'll sneak up on bears, come between a, a, a mother bear and her cubs, and they won't, you'll startle them and they won't hear you coming. He's like, super dangerous. He told us a story of just the week before we were there about how some uh, young boys uh, were, didn't follow that instructions. They, they came to this place and they said, you know what? Oh, it looks awesome. We should go down there. And they thought to themselves, this rule doesn't stay on the path. This rule doesn't really apply to me, right? It, doesn't, it, it takes a little while for male brains to develop. So these, these probably teenage or young 20-something uh, boys are like, man, what could happen? What could happen? And they ended up, same deal I just described, going down to water, came between a mama bear and her cub, and they were killed. They're mauled by a bear. I mean, it, this kind of thing happens. But I think this is almost exactly the picture that, that God is painting for us here. He's saying, man, sex in the context of marriage, if you stay on the path, right, in the context of marriage, it's awesome. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's, it's an amazing thing. But be careful if you stray you could be mauled by a bear. <laughs> Not literally, but you get the picture, right? It's, it's a big deal. He's saying you could get devoured. It could eat you alive. So be so, so, so careful. Don't leave God's path on this deal or you will suffer pain and loss and destruction. However, sex and intimacy in the context of marriage like that, it's beautiful. It's filling and fulfilling and life-giving. Get the picture enough on this? Should I kind of keep, ready to keep moving? Let me just move on from here. I just want to kind of go through this passage and, and pick out, uh, I'm going to pick out three different things today, straight from the text, sort of snapshots of God's wisdom from the passage about how to affair-proof your marriage, how you can guard the, sort of the path, what the boundaries are, and how we can guard the path to protect uh, our, our marriage and our relationships. This is, again, God through uh, King Solomon, at least three different pieces of advice he's given to his son and to us. The first one is this, and uh, we've kind of been doing this already, but magnify the consequences of an affair. It seems like so often um, we do exactly the opposite, right? We tend to not think about consequences, but we just start thinking about how great it would be. This person is so nice. This woman at work is so nice to me, and oh, she flatters my ego a little bit, and oh, he's so attentive to my needs. He listens and he cares. He's pursuing. It's nice to be pursued. Like we start, we start going down a row, a path in our mind, or maybe straying from a path in our mind, right? Just saying, oh, wouldn't it be great to have somebody care about me like that again? Wouldn't it be great to, to, to feel that way again? Wouldn't it be great 
You see what I'm saying? So often we, we tend to minimize the consequences and we magnify how awesome it would be to actually be with that other person. That's better than my wife. That's better than my husband. We should do that. And instead, Solomon, and God through Solomon, flips that thing on his head. And he says, are you out of your mind? Like, I want you to think about where this is going. It's predictable. I have to say, as a pastor, I've seen this again and again and again and again and again and again and again. again. It's predictable. The enemy uses it the same way all the time he has for the last, you know, Thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? Kind of thing. It's, it's the same predictable path every time. I want you just to look at, I, I kind of summarized here, but this is, what, uh, this is what Solomon reminds his son. He says, we're going to do exactly the opposite. He's going to magnify the consequences, put them into, into appropriate place uh, in, in the, the minds and the hearts of his sons. He's like, he's, he's like, are you kidding me? Cheating on your spouse, it's like leaving the path and getting mauled by a bear, right? Shagah, we just talked about this, verse 20. It's like getting stabbed with a double-edged sword, verse 4. It's an adulterer's feet and, and her speech, they, may, they might sound sweet at the time, but they lead to death, he says in verse 5. You'll lose your honor and your dignity, verse 9, which is true, isn't it? This one is fascinating. You'll end up losing all kinds of money and giving it to another. Also true, isn't it? In verse 11, he paints a more graphic picture than this, but he basically says, you will regret it. You'll regret, you'll be on your deathbed, groaning, looking back and going, what have I done? And there's even more. <laughs> That's just the tip of the iceberg. He just goes line by line by line by line, saying, I want you to think about where this is going. It's, it, sure, it might sound sweet on the front end, but think about where this is going. It leads to destruction. It really does. I was thinking this week about a biblical uh, figure in the Old Testament known as Joseph. Uh, and some of you know the story and that kind of thing. I don't have time to tell all of it. But it, it's a fascinating story. There's a moment in here where he through a whole process has become sort of a servant or a slave in the, the uh, house of a an Egyptian master, and he ends up um, being a great slave. He's elevated, ends up becoming in charge of virtually everything that his master owns and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the master's wife takes notice of Joseph and says, man, he is... He's a good, he's a fine young man, right? Like, <laughs> she, she was like, and so she's attracted to him. She goes and tries to seduce him. And I just, I, I was thinking about it this week and just thinking, it's fascinating, his response to that kind of thing. His response is, are you kidding me? This is my paraphrase. I'd lose my job. I'd lose my boss's respect. And I would disappoint my God. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? In fact, he says, he says, how could I do such a wicked thing to dishonor my master and to dishonor my God like that? And it's like, do you see what he's doing? He's magnifying the consequences. He's seeing the consequences appropriately. He's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. There's, there's a grander vision that he has about living in right relationship with God, in, in right relationship with others. It's like, there's something better, and I don't want to lose that. I, I won't. And so he runs away. He runs away because he magnifies the consequences and takes an honest look at the damage that it would do to his life, to his integrity, to his relationships, and on and on. 
I'll tell you what, friends, that's where it starts, us appropriately magnifying the consequences like that. I think Joseph did it, right? Solomon does it with his sons, and I think we would be wise to consistently remember, like, man, I do not ever want to pay that price. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want my family to, to pay that price. I don't want my kids to pay that price. I don't want, right? I, it's not worth it. All right, second one. Second one is to, uh, to minimize the opportunity to be tempted. Verse 8, this is fascinating. He says, keep a path far from her. Again, her is just the, the sort of idea of an, a person that would, you could get tempted and swept away into adultery with her, him, doesn't really matter. It says, keep a path far from her. You want to know, guess what far means in the original language? A long way, a real long way, a stinking long way, right? Keep far from her. Don't go there. And then it goes on and says, don't go near. Don't go anywhere the same zip code as the door of her house, right? Why? Because you don't, you want to put a wide berth between you and temptation, right? Jesus has a little different way of saying it. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know what he's saying? Keep a good, stinking long way between you and temptation. Distance. Protect yourself. In this context, guard your marriage. Guard your relationships. Guard your heart in such a way that there is no opportunity for temptation. Stay away from it. Don't even flirt with the idea. Don't go close. Let's not see how close you can get to the edge of the path before your life implodes. Let's not go, let's not keep walking towards the ferocious, angry bear, right? Oh, it's such a cute little bear. Let's pet it, right? Let's, let's see if we can hug it. Let's, let's give it some food to eat, right? Like, no, are you out of your mind? He says, stay far from it. Don't even go near it. Why would you? If we really believe the first one, if we really believe that this leads to tremendous devastation, if we really believe that it's going to dishonor our God, it's going to get in the way, it's going to kill our relationships, if we really believe that, why would we go near? And God says, man, just just protect yourself, protect your marriage, keep a big, long, stinking, honking, whatever distance between you and temptation. Let me just, let me just kind of give some examples here. If you are a wife or a husband uh, and you are hiding things from your spouse about an interaction they're having with somebody outside of the context of marriage, you are way over the line on that one. If there is, uh, if you're using Snapchat so that your spouse or whatever can't see who you've been texting, you know, who you've been communicating with and who you've been having conversations with and what you've been saying, then you are way over the stinking line on that one. If there's somebody at work or in the neighborhood or wherever that you've got a little flirty relationship kind of thing with and it makes you feel good on the inside... You should look in your rearview mirror because the, the line, the, the safety line is way in the, in, in the background here. And you need to turn around and run. You need to run away. You need to guard, put a big distance, keep it f- a path far from temptation. If you're deleting your, your browser history so that nobody can see where you've been. If you're getting a little too flirty with people around you, if somebody is pursuing you, and you're not telling your wife or your husband about it? That's danger, 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 right? Put a, you got to protect.
protect yourself. You are way over the line and you need to run. If you're there, put some distance between you and that person, right? Get some accountability. Put some boundaries in place. Confess it today to your spouse and some other Christ-following friends uh, around you. So get some accountability and some help in that area. Don't hang around them alone anymore. Don't share intimate details of your heart, of your marriage, of your life with them. Don't hug them and touch them and work late with them and all that kind of stuff. Don't be a fool, God says. You need to stay on the path. You need to choose to protect your marriage. Guys, can I just say this uh, to you, if I may? Can I just say, if your wife has a little flag that's going up in her head about your relationship with a woman, you should put distance between you and that woman. Period. I don't care if you think she's insecure. I don't care if you think that your wife is making a mountain out of a molehill. If there's a flag going off for her and saying, you know what, danger, 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 you need to cut it off with that other that other one. You've you got to protect your marriage. You got to put a big distance between you and temptation, and, and vice versa, of course, right? Why is if your husband is saying, man, I don't like I don't like the uh, the way the amount of time you're spending with that guy at work. I don't like that you're taking trips with him. I don't like that you're whatever. You need to put some distance and say, okay, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of relationship, I want to stay on the path. I want to keep a good boundary. You with me? I've said there's been some social media drives me crazy sometimes. Does it drive you crazy sometimes? Oh, my gosh. The, what, one of them that I just haven't gotten lately, and don't, I don't need to get emails about it or anything, but, like, is the whole, like, the Billy Graham rule sometime in this last year? No, I have to, it's gotten all kinds of bad press. And what that means is early on in, in Billy Graham's ministry, right, decades, I, mean, 50, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago probably now, but uh, he had set up, set up a boundary and said, you know, for my own protection and just so that I don't fall into temptation, I don't ever want to be in a room alone with a woman that's not my wife. And so he always had a guy with him, a, you know, a friend or a mentor or whatever that he was traveling with. He always had somebody with him and just set that boundary in place. And he, I, I get some people have probably taken the rule and legalistically applied it and maybe it sounded sexist or like women are of the devil or so. I, I get that there's some of that kind of stuff but I just have to say it's interesting we had his funeral here not long ago right you want to know what you didn't hear at his funeral you didn't hear a story about an affair he had because to some degree his life was affair proof because he had set boundaries in place he had put a lot of distance you might you don't necessarily have to agree with it. You don't have to make that boundary yourself. But man, he protected his marriage, did he not? He walked with integrity all the days of his life. He protected his marriage. He affair-proofed his marriage. Why? Because he put a lot of distance between him and temptation. You don't have to like his model, but man, that's what God calls all of us to in one way or another. It doesn't have to look like I could never be in a room alone with a woman. It doesn't have to be that. But if there's an area of temptation for you, you probably need to go a little bit overboard to put some space between you and that so that you don't stray from the path and end up mauled and hurt and destroyed. You with me? It's a big deal. We can't miss this. Minimize the opportunity to be tempted. And the last one, maintain your marriage and your soul. Right, go back to, to verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Right? Get your needs met by your husband or your wife. Get running water from your own well. 
right? It goes on, right? It says, may her breast satisfy you always. May you find satisfaction in your wife or in your husband. May you be ever intoxicated with her love or his love, that kind of thing. There's something incredibly practical here. Look to get your own needs met at home. Are you feeling unsatisfied with a particular area of your relationship or your marriage? Is there something that you need? Is there something that your spouse needs that you know of that you can serve and you can help and you can whatever? Then do it. But stay, right? Stay and do it. Stay and invest. Stay and make your marriage better. Don't go looking elsewhere. I've said this before, but the grass is always greener over the septic tank, right? (laughs) Right? It may look glorious, but you get over there and it's full of crap right? That's, that's, that's the reality. That's the reality. Don't go looking elsewhere. You have made a vow before God and your spouse. You've said, I will love and honor and cherish you and only you all the days of our lives. It's a huge deal. Don't go looking elsewhere. Don't go straying elsewhere. Maintain your own marriage. Maintain your own soul. Pour, pour into your spouse. May you be satisfied by your spouse. Oftentimes, the biggest felt need for guys is sexual fulfillment. Oftentimes, for women, it's emotional fulfillment. It doesn't matter what it is, right? But let's stay and work on it. If there's a need, why don't you talk about it? Humbly, powered down, remembering that both sides have needs. But why don't you stay and talk about it? And think about... uh, I mean, think about the other person and not just yourself. Rather than just saying, well, here's my list of needs. I need this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And what are you going to do about it? Right? Rather than, of course, we go back to communication and some of the stuff we talked about before. But rather than doing that, what if you were to come humbly and say, what's one thing I could do this year that would make our marriage better? What if you were the first one? <laughs> what if you tried to outdo each other and being the first one to ask that question and then don't defend yourself. Don't whatever. Try to listen. And what if you, if, what if you try to evaluate your life and say, could I put that into practice? Could I, could I do that one thing this year to make our marriage maybe 5% better? And then if the other one does it first, then you do it second. Say, so what's one thing I could do to make our marriage just a few, few percentage points better? Imagine if we were to stay and approach life like that. If we, if we were to start saying, you know what, I'm going to with, with God's help, I want to learn to love my wife, right? Like Christ loved the church. I want to learn to honor and respect and build up my husband back and forth, right? I want to, I want to, I want to serve and, and help. I, and I get, I, I got my own rough edges. I got my own junk that I'm dealing with. I get that there's plenty of stuff I need to do. So, so what's one thing I can do this year? What if your marriage could get 5% better this year, right? Just, I'm not talking like, woo, but I'm talking like, what if it could get 5% better this year? What if it could get 5% better next year? And think of, think of the traje- trajectory of that over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. You could have a great marriage, but it doesn't happen when we quit. It doesn't happen when we go looking elsewhere, saying, well, I'm going to get my needs met somewhere else. If she's not going to do this for me, if he's not going to do this for me, well, then there's this person. No, 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 no. Stay on the path. And let's figure out, let's learn to serve and love and build up and cause our marriage to flourish, right? The, the marriage that God has given us. Remember, I'll just, this is just a, a reminder as well. 
And please, let's not forget, the reason I added on, and your soul, is let's not forget what we talked about last week. No human being can meet all your needs, right? It's not, we're not designed that way, right? They're not God. We have, we have a spot in our soul, the majority of our soul, that needs to be filled with the love and presence and grace of God, right? And so that's where great relationships begin. Let's remember to be caring for our own soul, getting filled up with God first, seeking him first, receiving his grace first, you know, asking for forgiveness first, going to Jesus again and again, day in and day out. And then from the overflow of what we receive from him, suddenly we are able to love and to serve and to build up and to honor one another in God-honoring kind of relationships. You with me? How to protect your marriage, magnify the consequences of an affair, minimize the opportunity for temptation, and maintain your marriage and your own soul, your own walk with God. Friends, God has good plans in store for your relationships. He does. He has amazing plans in store for you if you'll walk with him on the path. Well, I want to end uh, our service today, wrap up the series in kind of a little bit of a different way. Um, it's Doing a marriage series in a church like ours is so uh, hard because there's people all over the spectrum, right? I mean, there, there are people all over, the, for, from we've got single people that are over here and some of which are happily single and just kind of in that face, some of which are single and are a little bit miserable and they are lonely and they're struggling and they are wanting uh, more than anything to be married. There are some that are happily married. There are some that are not so happily married. There are some that have walked through this whole idea of an affair and adultery and been on one side or the other. But so there's people all over the spectrum um, and they're very different needs. And so we thought maybe it would be a cool way to end this series just to end with prayer. And uh, I've asked a few couples um, to, to come up and, and join me. We're going to have uh, I think Jake or the team or whatever, play some music here in a, in a couple minutes. But I'm just going to invite you, if you're, if you're, first of all, all of us, I'm going to invite us to pray and turn to the Lord this morning and just pray for our marriages, pray for our relationships, pray for our hearts. If you are, uh, and so, so do that kind of thing. But if you feel like you could just use somebody else to pray for you, like I said, we're going to have, uh, I think, three different couples up here and we'd love to pray for you. And it could be that you're single and, and your heart is aching and broken. Maybe you've been hurt or maybe Maybe you're just longing uh, to have somebody, somebody to share life with and you're lonely. And if that's you and, you and you want to, maybe you should come up today and let us pray for you and just pray for God's blessing and provision for him to fill you, for him to give you peace and patience as you wait for the right kind of person, right, to come along and pray for even provision uh, for that. Maybe there's, uh, maybe there's a, a stuff going on in your marriage right now and you're like, man, we are not on a good path and we're hurting and we're broken and we're doing this kind of thing again and again. Maybe we just don't feel like we're in lockstep. Maybe we just don't feel like uh, our relationship, like the spiritual stuff we talked about last week, maybe we feel like that's missing. Uh, and, and if so, maybe you need to come and just say, would you just pray for our marriage these days? Would you pray that God would bless us, that God would draw us together, that he'd help us to, to learn to love and to serve one another. Maybe there's a uh, Maybe you're on the receiving end uh, of, of sin and hurt and, and an affair and that kind of thing. And, and maybe your heart is just broken and you're, you're wrecked. Maybe we just need to come and just pray and say, would you just pray for God to heal me? God, to restore my heart, open my heart, teach me to love again. Maybe you've been on the, the, uh, the sinning end of it and you're like, man, I have taken the steps. I've been the one that had the affair. I wrecked I wrecked things. 
And maybe today you need to come up and just confess some of that. Maybe you need to just have uh, some people just pray for you, but also just remind you of the overwhelming grace of God. The God who, who forgives, the God that came down and lived and died so that we could be forgiven. The God who came to give us a second chance. The God who is, who's in the business, who specializes in renewing and restoring broken and damaged and sometimes even dead things and bringing them back to life. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know how he's speaking to you today, but I would encourage you just to use this time for you and God. Just connect with the Lord. If you want to pray as couples, do it. If you want to come up and receive prayer, please come. If you want to just pray individually in your seat, that's fine. But let's, um, let's just spend a few minutes and, uh, and we'll pray. And uh, like I said, the, we'll have uh, the, the worship team come up. They'll play a little bit. We'll pray for a few minutes, then I'll close us in prayer.